Welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast, where we cover all the steps and strategies to make your real estate dreams a reality. Now your hosts, Jason and Peely. Hi, everybody, and welcome again to the REI Foundation Podcast with Jason and Peely. Today, we welcome Ray Williamson. Hi, Ray. Hi, good morning, Peely. Good morning, Jason. Good morning. Hey, Ray, how's it going? It's going really well. So I appreciate you guys inviting me and uh, look forward to our discussion today. Oh, well, thank great. you so much for coming on. So Ray uh, currently works at Lending Home and we want to go over his uh, quick run on the bio. He's got quite an impressive track record. And before we jump into it, we thought it was very important. We're talking constantly about flipping homes, investing in property. And one of the key pieces, of course, is that is if you don't have 100, 200, 600,000 just laying around that you can throw at these actual projects, how are you funding these projects? And that's why we have Ray to really help us shed some light on one, what they do, and two, how they help investors and how an investor can best set up to work with a company like Lending Home. Um, Ray is a 28-year financial services leader that has worked in both consumer mortgage space along with the direct-to-consumer financial planning space. So we, we have some experience, we can say today, we're ready to go. <laughs> uh, his experience in the mortgage industry involves a 17-year run with First Financial that included starting as a processor and developing into a production vice president that was responsible for 70 employees in both sales and operational roles. Uh, the team originated over 1.1 billion, that's with a B, of annual production that was number one or two in a company of 35 territories. Wow. Invested in five years in the financial planning space with Northwestern Mutual, working with high-income earners, executives, and companies under personal insurance and retirement planning needs. Uh, this experience really drove his passion to truly do, do what he felt uh, was needed for busy individuals. He was responsible in generating 100% of his own leads and business along with keeping each client educated and updated on the trajectory of their plans and the industry changes that could affect their goals. Uh, next, he spent four years at two mortgage startups. Uh, first startup was a 10-year month period with Privlo, or I'm sorry, a 10-month period with Privlo. Uh, they were a consumer mortgage company attempting to compete in highly competitive consumer mortgage space and specifically with income and credit challenged borrowers. Uh, their funding ran out and they were forced to close. Uh, we can touch on that. That would be great. And uh, his role there was to involve uh, building out their operation staff and a system that would support the growth and scale needed to serve borrowers and return uh, investors money. And now currently, he's working at Lending Home. The company serves the residential fix and flip market by providing both funding for the acquisition of properties and the rehab associated with getting those homes resold at a profit to both the borrowers and lending home. Uh, he served in two roles. From 2014 to August of 2017, he ran a 50-person operations team that gave support to a sales initi initiative and pro protected the investments and expectations of other investors. Uh, currently, he oversees the Midwest and Eastern territories of business from our most uh, experienced borrowers, and he helps onboard new borrowers that can benefit from, our from his financing and help retain borrowers already using the platform to grow their business. Uh, um, sorry, um, Ray is married to Ruth Williamson for just over 28 years, has four children, two boys and two girls, a 26-year-old son, Ian, who attended Cal Poly SLO and is on his way to becoming a firefighter. Awesome. And a 24-year-old daughter that is set to graduate from Chapman University of May 2018, 21-year-old daughter that is set to graduate from Marquette 
in May 2018, and lastly, a 17-year-old son that is a junior at Cathedral Catholic High School. Well, Ray, you Whoa. have your hands busy with uh, a ton of college. So, so wow! I'm sure Congratulations to all your children on yeah. the cusp of their graduations. Yeah, yeah thank you wow. very much. Good, good. They've been busy. It's it's all of them. <laughs> well, Ray, uh, we just spent a few days with you uh, that were amazing down in Pensacola. Uh, learned a lot about your service. You saw with uh, the group we work with, um, how we work, and we just thought it was it, it was key to be able to chat with you a bit more and help our listeners really understand from a financing perspective how how they can best prepare themselves to one be an attractive candidate, uh, two what kind of projects. How, how, to, how to look at a project from a lender perspective, and then three, how to really scale their business using a service like Lending Home. So before we get started with that, we, we like to uh, typically have people just, why don't you just tell us what you do in, in just a quick blurb. What I currently do at Lending Home is I work with what we consider to be the, like the more experienced borrower channel. And a very quick definition of kind of most experienced is um, since we only provide fix and flip financing, meaning we don't provide conventional mortgages, we don't provide rental financing or ground up construction, um, we're identifying people that are doing just that. So they're acquiring properties, they're rehabbing them, and they're exiting them in one of two ways, whether they're selling the property or refinancing and into long term financing with another lender. And so we very quickly use um, data uh, to help us, my team, uh, identify those candidates. Uh, what we don't want to do is just cold call everybody in the U.S. in hopes of them answering a couple of questions in the affirmative. And so data has helped us be a lot more strategic with our outreach and not, uh, I think, bother people unnecessarily. Um, and so I look for folks that have been rehabbing successfully, you know, 10 flips over the last couple of years. And then I get into more of the particulars of whether their credit is uh, up to where our credit policy requires it to be. Do they have reserves? Uh, and do they have the knowledge of the, uh, the space itself? But we have very, I think, fairly easy hurdles to overcome. And then our staff is built to help people be successful, not only continue to grow their business in the space, but be successful in using Lending Home. That's awesome. That's awesome. And now, when you first got started with Lending Home, how have you seen the company grow in the last couple of years to, to where it's currently at today? That is a terrific question, especially um, on the heels of what um, I experienced with your team around the uh, word of vulnerability. And so I'll, I'll start with being very vulnerable on that. Um, as you can imagine, in a startup, um, you have high aspirations and you want to grow and you want to grow quickly. And I can tell you that any company that has grown quickly has bruised its knees and chipped its teeth uh, and, and irritated a few customers along the way, not by intending to do so. It's just not necessarily having the support needed for the growth that it is experiencing. And that's what I heard uh, in volumes uh, over the two days in Pensacola, that everybody on the team uh, through uh, seven-figure flipping um, definitely was growing, but they were unable to get maybe support staff in place in, in a sufficient amount of time or to get that additional part of funding in, in, in place. And so 
Lending Home started in February of 2014. They funded three loans. Um, you know, last year we funded over a billion. So very rapid growth. And so what we've been able to, what we experienced in the early years was we were growing so fast that our support process did not enable us to follow through on what we communicated to borrowers that we would do, which is we're only going to ask for this piece of information the first time, but not ever again. Our system didn't necessarily identify that we hadn't asked for something from a borrower that was sending us their third or seventh or 20th loan. And so it became a bit irritating that we were re-asking for a, a piece of documentation that had already been submitted, reviewed, and vetted. Right. And so we have subsequently fixed that problem. Um, also, uh, we, we, we've never been in a position where we've not had enough money. Uh, thankfully, um, we have we have institutional funding. We have um, retail platform funding, which is as simple as. Uh, accredited individual investors like the three of us wanting to buy fractional interests in notes, right? I want to buy $10,000 of that note and $5,000 of that note. So we've raised about $150 million of equity. Uh, we've raised about $110 million of that retail capital. And then we have warehouse capacity with, um, you know, major Wall Street uh, providers of capital. So, um, Money is not an issue as it relates to us from a lending standpoint, but it was we couldn't hire people fast enough. And that was a theme I heard last week, uh, loud and clear. Uh, and, I, and I think what, what we end up doing is you need to get good, really good people in. And as your company scales, and I was talking about this with a couple of your uh, coaches, you get people in and in the first, like, let's say, year or two, they're absolutely the right person for that role. And as the company starts to scale, the role kind of changes, right? And it evolves. And sometimes the personnel doesn't necessarily evolve as fast as the role will. And candidly, nobody's capable of doing that. It's just a matter of when will the role eventually evolve past a person's capacity? It could be six months and it could be six years and it could be 15 years. But eventually I've been in, I'm 54 and I've been in, in the corporate world since 1989. It, it always happens. Uh, it's happened to me, right? And so, um, it, so what you have to do is be able to be courageous enough as a business owner like you two are and, and ask yourself, is this person still right for the company? If the answer is yes, do we have a role that's right for the person in the company? Hopefully the answer is yes, because culturally they've been with you and they've been pretty solid. And so if the answer is no, then you just have to be super honest with the, with the person say, hey, this is the direction that we're going in. And here's all the roles that we have available. And, you know, where might you slot? Right. And if they don't slot, then, hey, let me help reach out to maybe a company and industry, et cetera, that might be perfect for you on your growth trajectory from a career pathing standpoint. So and that's happened both at the current company, Lending Home and other companies that I've been at. And so uh, now, you know, we're still trying to get enough of the right people, um, you know, into the company. You still have to you were a startup. I mean, we, we've been around for four years. What? I think we're starting to see is we're starting to attract more people that were hesitant to be part of a startup in the first couple of years. And now all of a sudden we have proven the thesis out that we're a bit longer uh, for, for the industry than maybe some people were betting initially and now they want in, right? Which is great. And so I think we're, we're, we're having to convince 
uh, on a longer period of time and more thoroughly people to join the company because our success has been able to assist us with that. That's great. You just gave our listeners so much information there. Thank you so much. So much on growth, so much on perspective, and just knowing that that perspective cuts across every single line of thought is just, it's, it's, it's a great knowledge to have. So imagine I am an investor, which I am, we are, and we come to you when <laughs> easy we, <to> imagine. <laughs> we say, we say, Ray. We ask the easy questions. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Just imagine that. Okay. We got that. We got that. So we come to you. We're like, Ray, um, we have a project at XYZ state street. Um, can you fund this for us? How would you begin the process with us? Well, the first thing, you know, after just thanking you for even considering uh, lending home is asking you a few questions. So with us, we, from a qualifying standpoint, we don't dive into at all any income documentation or kind of thorough um, cash flow documentation. What we've been able to identify is a, an owner or borrower's experience in flipping, we can see when they've acquired properties and then when they've exited properties and then the delta between the acquisition price and the exit price. And so it's very easy to do math, right? To see if somebody has been successful and then how often they've been successful. So initially, the, the first part of that conversation would be around your experience. So how long have you been doing this? And what are you doing? And so as you all know, and your listeners probably know from going to your site, there's different elements of investing and I'll call it flipping in general, right? And so some people get into assignments, right? It's a very quick, not easy, but quicker way of identifying properties and generating some cash flow, uh, although you're leaving quite a bit of the meat on the bone, but it might be for various reasons, which I'm sure you guys have communicated on other podcasts. Um, and so are you somebody that assigns a lot of deals? Are you somebody that wholesales a lot of deals? Do you wholesale things? Do you do up and do a small cleanup or do you do full retail? And so I think having a perspective of how you all approach a project is going to allow me to educate you a little bit better on how we either can be or can't be uh, a successful partner and more than likely on that project, right? Because what I heard and have heard over the last four years in this space is not everybody does 100% retail and not everybody does 100% wholesale. It's really a combination and there's a larger percentage to one and a larger percentage to another depending upon uh, probably how long you've been doing it or just what you're comfortable with. Right. And so, and, and how you built your infrastructure because one requires a different type of in infrastructure than the other. So that's the first one. And that was a long winded way of answering that particular question because without that allows me to slot a couple of things. We base what our leverage or if your listeners like your loan to value or your required down payment, uh, what that's going to be based on your experience. And so that allows me to go, okay, now I can go down this path as it relates to uh, the loan to value that you're, we're going to be talking about on this particular project. And then secondly, uh, we get into the credit or FICO scoring requirements and then the reserve requirements. Candidly, those are the three 
main items. The rest of the information that we actually go through is, is very simple as it relates to how have you structured your entity? Uh, are you in good standing with the state that you're doing business with? That's an assumption, obviously, that we're making that if you're calling me, you pro hopefully you are, uh, right? And so, but we, we, we cover those questions, but not necessarily first. There, there's just some, there's some grandiose assumptions that we make, and that's one of them. Uh, plus, we can check it very easily online. So that's the, the first one is really around the experience. And then that will decide whether or not um, this is going to be an initial sort of transactional relationship first one ever, first one with us, et cetera, or are you quite experienced and there actually might be a different path that we can go down with you relative to providing you a, a, a larger sort of credit facility or credit capacity with us. Sure. And Thank you. so let's touch on that credit facility for, well, first, it's nice to know that for the listeners, whether this is your first project where you've done a hundred in the last two years, this is a viable option for you and they detail or fit a program that can help you work within your scenarios. And now, so talking on a larger aspect for maybe someone who is doing a ton of projects, uh, help us better understand what, what a credit facility would allow and, and the, the pluses with such a facility. Good question. So as, as you mentioned, I mean, we've, We've broken our sales team and operations team to support both uh, individuals that have never flipped a home um, and haven't been able to secure, let's say, private funding or friends and family funding, et cetera. And we have a team that just assists them. It's, it's a, a bit longer process just because there's a lot more questions, right? So what does an institutional lender do? How is it different from my buddy who got money from a guy at the donut shop and he told him that he got it in a day and you guys have taken more than a day to, you know, gather my information to fast forward to an example of somebody who has is a more sort of prolific flipper. You know, they're doing a project every other month They're doing one a month they're doing five a month, et cetera. And so what the credit facility allows somebody to do is not to question whether or not they're, they're going to have um, access to capital. One of the biggest challenges, at least that is communicated to me by our borrowers is I can never have enough capital. Um, and so it's just a matter of aligning with capital providers that differentiate for the borrower in different types of buckets. So one could be a large capacity at, at maybe a, a, a friendly rate, but not necessarily a bank rate. And one might be bank financing. And so there might be a bank that very specifically likes a certain area uh, or municipality, right? So that's where that community bank is and that's where that regional bank is. So they really like that particular area, maybe Newark, right? To, yeah, to, as a specific example in New Jersey. And so, and then you might have private uh, uh, lenders who are private financers who don't necessarily have as much capital as an institutional lender like Lending Home, uh, but once they establish a good relationship with someone, it's almost a sight unseen delivery of money, right? They know you, you've delivered for them five, 10, 15 times over the last year or two, a, a quick call and all of a sudden an hour later or a day later, you've got not only your acquisition financed, but your rehab financed. And then there's different ways that you go about repaying them. So the, 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 the credit facility from our standpoint enables somebody to know that at, at the worst case scenario, you've got, in our example, $5 million 
that we will fund loans for you over this you know, period of time. For us, it's 12 months before we reevaluate uh, credit worthiness again. That is, that is significant. Um, that, as you know, from a flipping standpoint, you know, you're, 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 you're working your leads and you're following through religiously. If, if you look back in 2017, you may have closed, let's say, 24 deals, since I'm bad at math. It's easier for me to divide 24 by 12. So you didn't necessarily get two projects a month. You averaged getting two projects a month. You, you may have actually gotten five or six in one particular month. And if all of a sudden you don't have appropriate financing lined up, you're less strategic about how you can um, address those projects. Sometimes you might have to say no. Sometimes you might not be able to fully retail a project when in your mind you're like, gosh, that is, that is a really good deal for us. Uh, but we just don't have the staying power from a capital standpoint to deploy that much on that particular project. So you might end up having to assign it or wholesale it just because of lack of financing. And so uh, this doesn't necessarily end everybody's financing capacity issues, but it certainly puts that financing arrow in your quiver to go along and supplement with the other types of financing that you have arranged. That's great. Yeah. So much amazing information right there. I, I have two follow-up questions, uh, one related and one, one sort of related, semi-related, let's say. Okay. So the first being, so credit facility, and, and it's a 12-month term or a 12-month check-in. So if someone starts a project in month 12 or the beginning of month 12, how, how does that carry over with such a facility? Coincidentally, the term of our loans happens to be the same term of the, uh, I'll call it credit line or credit facility uh, approval. So our, our, our loan terms are 12 month interest only, no prepayment penalty. But to answer your question, so if somebody was approved for that credit facility, um, you know, 10 months ago, and now they're acquiring another property that they absolutely know is going to take them past that 12 month period of time. Well, the check-in that we're going to have is really the two, the two items um, that we had before. So the experience level's already been vetted, right? So you don't have to requalify an experience because you've only added to it. Sure. So if you, right. And so the two main things that could change, one would be the FICO and one would be the reserve requirement. So hopefully on the second one, we've assisted you in your growth over that 10 month period of time where uh, the reserves have increased to where that snapshot of, of time that we require um, will be met. Uh, if not, there's potentially some ways to be able to uh, secure other assets. A lot of times, uh, I know business owners tend to hold money in different accounts, not necessarily just um, you know the entity account. Uh, so it could be as simple as being able to either rearrange where the assets are, just showing where they're at and easy enough to qualify for that. And then the kind of the blackish and whitish one is the FICO score. So for our more experienced operators, we, we require a 660 or better FICO score. So typically what I have not seen in, in, on, in my you know, years since 1989 and working in this industry, unless there's a major, major event. Usually, if somebody has been successful in working, whether it's a W-2 job, self-employment, et cetera, if you're, if you're on a trajectory of success, typically the FICO score is going to come along with you. What I have seen 
um, is usually when there has been a, a massive disruption in credit or, or, or FICO, if you will, as a result of that credit disruption, it usually was a, a major event. And so, you know, if we've been lending to somebody successfully and the projects have been successful, it, it's, it would be completely out of the ordinary for somebody's FICO score to be significantly disrupted to where we wouldn't re-grant credit. I'm not saying we, we would all the time, but uh, that's what I've typically seen. Sure. And so we would just re-up and, and, and re-approve them for another uh, 12-month period. And you are based in California. Do I have that correct? Yeah, the, the home office is in San Francisco. So, so that's where probably 95% or more of our employees reside. Noting that you're across the country and with all these different market dynamics and with, of course, different cities and being at different points of the cycle, how, how do you guys, how do you familiarize your process, noting that, you know, one day you may be loaning in Alabama, the next day you may be loaning in New Jersey, the next day you may be loaning in Nevada. How, how can you make the process thorough to, or, or how seamless is it for investors or how can they help you learn a market if maybe you're not into it? That's a good, that's a good question. Um, so we, we certainly, as a lender, uh, we really leverage data. And what I mean by that is from a credit reporting standpoint, thankfully, most of the data is standardized, right? So it's in the three credit bureaus. And so that part is easy for us. The part that could be a little bit more difficult, and it is in some areas, uh, is the, um, public record information around properties. And so there are some particular areas in the U.S., not too many, where the public record reporting information around square footage and bed and bath counts is not as accurate as we would need them to be. As you can imagine, you know, if when we have an appraiser who's licensed and certified, which they are, we have, I think, 11 or 12 on staff, and, and they're reviewing information, public record information um, in a particular area, and they're seeing that it's a two-bedroom, one-bath, 790-square-foot home, they're going to value it as such. When you've walked the home, you know the fact that it's 1,400 square feet. It's actually a three-bedroom, two-bath. And so when we value something as a two-bedroom, one-bath, 794-square-foot home, I can guarantee you the price that we're going to uh, value it at is going to be probably below your expectations. And so what we're able to do when that happens, which it has, uh, in these pocket areas is we rely on you as the borrower and your partners, as, as Peely mentioned earlier in the, in the podcast, of do you have somebody like a local realtor that you've been using that can provide us closed, uh, accurate public record information that we could actually use? And so that's where our partnership um, is going to come into play as it relates to us needing you versus you just needing us. Uh, in particular areas. Most of the time, that's not the case, uh, but there are pockets in certain states where um, uh, Texas is one of them. I mean, they just, from a legal standpoint, they don't have to report a lot of um, uh, public record information as it relates to buyer-seller information and some um, uh, property information. And so they as a state uh, have chosen to report that and that's either going to, uh, it hasn't with us, but it's going to uh, disrupt a lender's ability to um, assess information on more quickly. Uh, so it doesn't mean that it doesn't get done correctly. It just means that there might be a time additive uh, for it to be done correctly. Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's great. And, uh, 
in regards to where lending home is at today is that something that that is a difficult point for your business that you're working to on improve or if not what is something right now that you're trying to make more investor friendly yeah certainly there's some ways that we can address the public record information some of it is you know having either a person or being a having a particular type of license in that particular area so that we have access to the data that a local license, let's call it broker has. So if we're not a licensed broker in a particular state, uh, I'll make up a state, New Jersey, then we would have to have somebody that either resides there on behalf of lending home or somebody on lending home would have to be, you know, a broker licensed, uh, et cetera. Uh, the other item that comes up um, is you mentioned that uh, we're in San Francisco. Well, 65% of our business is done Texas East. And so there's at least a two, if not three hour time difference between the two. And so one of the reasons I reference that is we closed over a billion dollars last year. 65% of that came from Texas East. So we have been able to successfully address the time zone issue that people would experience. We have certain, um, certain roles within the company where it's extremely important that we work at the same rate and time as a borrower. So that would be processing and closing. Uh, and then we have certain other positions where it, it's almost irrelevant when they're working, uh, so to speak, you know, that we don't necessarily have to have an appraiser that gets up at 5 a.m. Uh, Pacific time um, because our process enables us to get through the inventory of work in a very timely manner where it's not disruptive to the whole process. And so what we've done from a processing and underwriting standpoint is we've staggered work hours so we have people that are working at, you know, 8 a.m. Eastern time uh, all the way up to, you know, I think 6 p.m. Eastern time. Not necessarily that particular person's, but we do have coverage from an Eastern time zone standpoint from, I think, just before 8 a.m. to just after 6 p.m. So that if there's, you know, questions which you're going to get, um, we actually have live bodies that can help push loans through. And then what we have also done is, We've built, I mean, we're a technology company, and so we have built an extremely borrower-friendly portal that enables you in the before hours, meaning before 8 a.m. and well after 5 p.m., to work within our system without needing somebody to be there, you know, uploading documents, see progress about how things are going, communicate uh, electronically, et cetera. So I think we've built our system to be very self-serving uh, until somebody needs help. And then we've built that help to be available. That's an integral piece that you put there because if, if you haven't used a lender before, make note of that piece about where you're located. I, I have worked with another lender on the West Coast and it, it added days to our time cycle because maybe they don't get into 11 a.m. and I send them something at 10 a.m. and then they don't get back to me until five hours later, uh, five hours later to their time when I'm already out of the office and now you lose a couple of days. And as, as most people know in this industry, the time can be the biggest drain on your capacity and, and you usually are, are, are short on time. So that can add your days wholeheartedly. That's a right. huge difference. Yeah. And, and as an investor constantly building our team, like everything you've just given us is like so support orientated. So that's my next question. How does your support system differ from other lending um, facilities, facilities, capacities, yeah. capacities, and how can you help 
from the, I mean, you said you have a team just for beginner investors to people who are doing hundreds, 200, 300 deals a year. So how do you differ from other, from other facilities? You know, good question. One, one, of, one of the ways that we've been able to um, sort of test drive other lenders is we actually have people, you know, at Lending Home that actually do flip homes. Um, and I love that. I love where we're going with this, by the way. Yeah. So, the, the, so the, on, on part of that, that doesn't answer your question, it enables us to have a perspective that is, you know, first and foremost, you know, real, right? As opposed to, ah, that borrower is just saying that because they want something to be done easier or better or off the rails. So we get a really live experience of going, no, this is exactly how the process is for acquiring a property and, and uh, being vetted from a lender and uh, project disruptions and scope of work changes that are, that are um, unforeseen. Right. And, and closings or title issues that come up at the last minute. So one of the good things, candidly, about this is we do not lend to employees. So actually, we're forced to send them out to competitors. And so the benefit of that is we find out how our competitors process is. And so and then we already know what our process is like. And so we're able to compare both, you know, leverage and rates, but then also customer service, availability, visibility into the process, et cetera. So, and I'm not here to throw other lenders under the bus and I'm not going to mention names, but it allows us, and obviously our borrowers are only going to use kind of high level lenders. It's very similar to lending help. Right? Uh -huh. So that, that would give them the leverage that they want, low rates that they deserve, et cetera. And so I'll leave it at that. And so, so we've been able to identify that actually our process is, quite better and different relative to speed um, and consistency, meaning when I send you a project like this, you consistently ask for only this, as opposed to, man, I send you the same types of projects all the time. Sometimes you ask for this, sometimes you ask for a question that's, that seemingly is, is very strange. And so to your point, um, Jason, on the timepiece, is how we've been able to distinct, uh, differentiate ourselves is a, uh, in combination with a lot of things is when we take a borrower through that line of credit underwrite, right? So we thoroughly vet that borrower information. And so we see how your operating agreement is structured so that your loan documents are done correctly. We see what your experience is. We see all the, all the items that you need to meet. That's done for 12 months. So we're not going to re-review you on a monthly or quarterly or semi-annual basis. And so not having that as a disruption piece is huge. And so then all we're doing on a regular basis is reviewing the property transactions that you have. One of the things that we've noticed about the more experienced uh, flippers is they tend to gravitate toward a very similar, not exact, but similar uh, property, um, I'll call it profile, meaning three bedroom, two bath, 1500 square feet, right? And not that there's no variance from that, but it's very similar. And then it may be a, a sales price that's sort of at or below something. What that does, as you know, is it gives you options. So yeah. do I acquire rehab and sell? Do I uh, acquire rehab and rent? So if you keep everything in that sort of box, it gives you significantly more options. And I think most 
most rehabbers are looking for options as it relates to finance, as it relates to exit, um, as it relates to a lot of things. And so our, our process is built to make that even faster. As you can imagine, if you guys were underwriters and I was sending you loans and all I sent you was the same type of loan in or property in the same type of area, pretty much I'm, I'm only underwriting it right-handed as opposed to left and right-handed. It just, it's just a lot easier. So believe it or not, as easy it is on you, it's just as easy on us. And so, and when something does go off and it's, and it's a property outside of an area that we typically do, we'll do it. It just might take a little bit of time because it might not be a property that we do a lot of times. Maybe it's a rural type of a property. Maybe it's on excessive acreage. Maybe it's um, a, a $2 million home, right? And so typically what we see are loan amounts between, our average loan amounts $205,000. So, you know, we probably close um, several uh, million plus dollar loans, but it isn't common. So it's on a different, I'll call it rail, um, but we, we, we accommodate it, but it's more of on a slower pace um, initially um, than the, the homes that are your standard ones that are, you know, 50K to a million. You said something key for newer real estate investors or even seasoned out there is that the most predominant factor to, to investors that you see flipping at a high volume is that they don't do HGTV where every project is new thing. They, they have to think of diff, 50 different things to do within the home. They're doing the same footprint day in and day out, the same model home. And that's where they see the most success, creating systems to be able to do that model over and over and over again to create their, their revenue. So, so if you were hopefully you caught that note in there because it's we see it in our group people are just crushing it doing 200 you know 150 200 flips a year with literally just the same house the same ranch they do day the in same day out. thing yep three two they three two three two three one it two. doesn't yeah it doesn't mean that they're not doing the finishes really really well that's correct it just means that they've already predetermined how they're going to approach a house as it relates to the finishes so yes. they don't have, every home is not a new decision-making process. They've made the decision. They're beautiful homes. They just made the decisions in advance. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> to your point, yeah, and that is they've eliminated that time, that time issue that I think yeah. most people do, right? And, yeah. and this isn't my opinion. This is borrower rehabber's opinions that they share with me that you also share with your podcast folks is do not take, do not go about a rehab as if you're going to live in the home. Yep. You will exactly. overspend both on money and time significantly. So mm -hmm. that is one of the things I've absolutely learned from, you know, your group and others. We've learned it too. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We've learned Systems. it. So Systems exactly right. So go ahead. Well, I was going to ask, what has been the biggest challenge for you at Lending Home? And what have you learned from it? And how were you able to rebound? biggest challenge um or in your life in general as a lender <laughs> or the that's between working with uh with yeah. investors or working with home buyers like sure, what's yeah. what's the yeah. give us give us something that you have taken a, as a huge step. value from yeah. yeah so i think one of the major differences uh, are the learnings that I've taken is when, when you're in an, when I was in an operations role, it's very easy to look more at the big picture, right? So we're closing 500 loans a month. We need to make sure they're all going through smoothly. Uh, at times it's very difficult to see that one loan that's going off of the rails a bit and, and, and 
give it the nurturing that it probably deserves. Um, because when you statistically look at that one loan out of 500, it is such a low percentage of either failure or disruption. You tend to kind of move on to the others, right? You're always taught to, you know, you have strengths and weaknesses. You want to shore up the weaknesses to where they're not significantly disrupting your successes, but you want to accentuate your successes to the point where you can three and five and 10 X your success. And so one of the things that this shift in role has allowed me to do is truly, and I'm in front of customers live, just like I was in Pensacola. And so there is no hold button when you are live in front of somebody, right? There is when you're on the phone. So you can call somebody and if all of a sudden somebody catches you, you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know that. You're like, hold. Yeah. <laughs> think a little bit, right? And then you can get back to them or just say, hey, I've got another call, et cetera. When you're live with somebody, you know, you see the issues that they're experiencing and and, and, and the struggles. And so, and I think one of the things that you get caught up, at, whether it's lending home or anywhere else, you know, we are, we are the largest provider of fix and flip financing in the U S like we're it, we're, we're the, we're the largest. And so it's very easy when you read your own press clippings to go, we're pretty good. Right. And so nobody's better than us. So why would, why would everybody not want to do business with us? And so what I've learned in this new role for me is there's a lot of financing options out there and not everybody is really open to taking conversations about lending home, whether it's they know about us and don't need us, or they've heard about another institutional lender or hard money lender, whatever you want to categorize us as. And they just assume that we're going to be the same. And then they probably, when you're an experienced uh, rehabber, you're getting 10 or 15 or 20 calls a week from people just like me, right? And so they may or may not have the track record the lending home has, but the call coming in, the guy has no, or the person has no clue about that. And so I think one of the, one of the struggles is, is trying to communicate our value proposition. And so that it aligns with the growth that a particular borrower is trying to experience, right? And so, because there have been times where I've had to admit in front of them going, I actually don't see any alignment today between lending home and you. So maybe I'll, I'll call back in six months or 12 months when, you know, your circumstances might change and that's okay. That's like a borrower coming to a project and thinking I have to buy this house because I need inventory or else you don't. It's okay to say no, right? Because your experience is going to tell you that thing's going to end poorly. You know, a newer uh, flipper is not going to know that, right? They just need inventory. Maybe they heard that uh, or they've experienced that, et cetera. And so you do need inventory. You just don't need bad inventory. And so uh, I think those are the things that I've learned about myself is, um, you know, I have uh, a a terrific wife and and four great kids. And one of the things I've learned in that in my marriage is I always need to be learning to listen better because I've been a crappy listener in the past, um, right? Because I've, I've, I've listened from a point of wanting to talk next, uh, as opposed to truly listening to understand. And so what this role and that, those experiences have taught me is to be a better active listener so that we can more appropriately position Lending Home to truly benefit somebody as opposed to being 
you know, Sammy, the slickster sales guy, just trying to pitch something and then follow up just aggressively, you know, on the phone to get somebody to, you know, arm wrestle them into submission, if you will. And so I've learned it's okay to say no. Uh, and it's okay if you're misaligned, it might not be a misalignment forever. And if it is, there are other people that can use uh, us as a resource. That's and great. so you kind of just move on, you know, you respect their time, respect my time and move on. Yep. So you've given us that, so much value. Wow. <laughs> if that answers your question. So. Sure yes, no, it does. I, and I can touch on a couple of things you just said there. The first being the first thing that pops up into my mind is that you said there are a lot of financiers lending opportunities out there. There's a lot of money out there. Mm-hmm. So one objection I hear, especially from newbie investors is that I don't have the money. I can't find the money. But you just heard a lender folks say that there is a lot of money out there. Yeah. Do not use your lack of funding. Do not let that stop you from getting into this business. If this is what you want to do, call up Lending Home. See if there's, there's something that they can do to help you. They have an entire team that can help you. The other thing that you talked about was, was it's okay to say no. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, you want to make sure that your lender is is aligned yes. with with your projects as well. So, so yes. at that point, you want them to be happy with it just as much as you want to be happy with your lender. So, well, two more questions for you, and then sure. and then we'll let you go. So, thank you so much for the time. I just, what would be a piece of advice you would have for a new real estate investor? And noting that you, we're not talking from an investment standpoint yourself, what would you have as a piece of advice that you see a lot from a lending side for someone who's just starting out that can maybe help them stay on track? I think to Peely's point, there's a, there's a lot of options available. Um, I don't necessarily know that you need to... You, you, you know, the, the, the phrase, how do you eat an elephant a bite at a time? Um, I don't think somebody's going to get into flipping and be prolific um, within their first project. I think it's unusual that somebody is significantly successful within 12 months. It's what we've tried to do with our new borrowers is we define success as that borrower, not funding their loan. That is actually not success. Success for a new borrower is them exiting that property profitably because now they have an option to actually be successful on flip number two or project number two. And so what, and whether it's with lending home or not. And so that, cause it's irrelevant. I mean, I, I think what we want to do is mitigate the number of unnecessary flipping disasters, if you will, uh, that take place. And so, and a lot of times what we see is, just in the data and then narratively as I'm in front of borrowers in different areas of the U.S. is you, you tend to have folks that, again, they need inventory so bad that they're willing to up pay on a particular piece of property thinking that they can make some changes to the project to where it's actually going to exit at a higher price than what homes are doing in the area. And so you have an inexperienced person that's thinking that they're going to set the new mark in a particular area and you have an experienced person saying that's not going to happen. And so when that loan comes into lending home, the amount of just ill will that comes from us saying, 
that area is really selling for, I'll make up a number, $350,000. And that particular borrower is thinking, no, based on where I'm buying it and what I'm doing for, that thing's going to be worth four fifty. And I'm not saying that it won't be worth four fifty on paper. We're saying the, the data supports it not selling for four fifty, right? And so um, I think from a lending standpoint, and it's unfortunate, right? I'm not saying that it won't. If that person sells it for four fifty, that, that's awesome, right? It's, it's, it's great for the market. It's great for the industry, et cetera. What we can't do as a lender, whether we're private or not, we can't, we can't help a borrower set that new market if the data doesn't support it. And so what we're trying to do is hopefully help them see that they actually might be biting off more than they can chew. And so we become an educator. But what we're coming across is we're, we're, we're like a disciplinarian, right? We're slapping their, their, their knuckles with a ruler when in reality we're saying the data doesn't support this. Maybe you should go to somebody in your, in your area, maybe a RIA, local RIA, et cetera, and get somebody else's perspective, whether it's you're using the wrong lender uh, or you're buy, biting off more than you can chew. We, we certainly could be, can be wrong with where we're valuing a particular property. And if there's somebody else that will fund it, I think that's great for them. As long as they can successfully and profitably exit, I think that's terrific. Love that. That's great. It that's is. great advice. And if, and when people are looking for funding for their next, next project, what is the best way to, to reach you and or lending home? lendinghome.com. So that's the easiest way um, to, to do that. And uh, it will allow somebody, regardless of their experience, to uh, kind of connect with uh, the, right, the right individual. Um, I travel a ton. And so I think reaching out to me is, is fine. Uh, I, I would probably then take that call and refer them somebody internally that could more quickly uh, jump on uh, on their questions and, and particular project. But the easiest way just from a systematic standpoint is to go to lendinghome.com. Amazing. Oh, well, well, thank you. This thank has you been so much. highly informative. And oh, we cool. know a ton of listeners are going to be set in the right track. And that, that was the whole point of this this episode. So thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. I appreciate you guys uh, extending the invitation. Great. Again, thank you so much to Ray, Ray Williamson. Yep. And thank you to everyone out there for listening today. We're so grateful. So this is the REI Foundation podcast with Jason and Peely. Thank you again. And we will talk to you later. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning into the REI Foundation podcast. Check back next time for more awesome tips and strategies to launch your new you in real estate.